Welcome to the Shanna Plan. This is episode 32. My name is Kyle Posey. We are a week into free agency. I'm joined by Akash, who is back this week. Akash, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you, KP? We're, uh, you know, what, like 10 days into free agency. Things have slowly started to settle down and uh, the focus is starting, starting to shift to the draft. It is. So that was quick. Last week was fun, but now we're kind of back to reality of the offseason where it's rumors and hoping that we get news. So let's, first of all, as always, thank you for listening. Rate, subscribe, review, five stars, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Let's start with the big news. So as we're talking, we've been talking about the salary cap this past week or so and just give providing updates on where the 49ers stand. We were not able to tell you the exact number because we didn't know what DeForge's restructure would look like. Over the cap projected that at most the 49ers would be able to free up about $9 million in cap space. But good news is the San Francisco was able to free up even more than that. So DeFord's cap hit went from $20 million in 2021 to $9.8 million after the restructure. So $11.2 million in cap space freed up. And now the 49ers are almost pretty much back to where they started. Akash, what was your takeaway from Ford's restructure? Yeah, this was kind of the unknown coming into this offseason, right? Uh, D Ford and Weston Richburg. What are the 49ers going to do with those two contracts? And they were complicated. The 49ers had restructured both of them the previous season. They couldn't just easily cut them and walk away from the contracts. Both players were injured and with like serious injuries. So it was really complicated. So let's start with Ford. Uh, with Ford, they basically just reduced his base salary and they saved, like you mentioned, $11 million this season. His cap hit does go up in 2022 to $12 million, And then there's a third void year that was added uh, in 2023. They can cut him in 2022 with like a post-June 1st designation, save, you know, uh, $7 million, I think, the next two seasons. And so they can wash their hands clean of D Ford, hopefully next season. But what this tells me, is A, the 49ers think that D Ford has a chance to return the season. And you and I talked before we hit record. It's found money. If D Ford plays, it's a win. If he steps on the field, gives you anything, it's a win. If he doesn't, whatever. I'm not expecting him to contribute. Um, just whatever he does, it's, uh, it's positive. So uh, I thought from that perspective, it was a win. They freed up cap space. Uh, I think at you know, the total cap space they have right now is around $20 million. That doesn't include the Kwaski-Tart deal, which I expect to be around the minimum. Um, and it doesn't include some of the deals from uh, Tuesday when we when we recorded this podcast. So that number is slightly in flux, but it, it was a lot more than we expected going into the offseason. And they definitely have some wiggle room now. They can certainly add some depth, add some depth at edge, potentially slot corner, maybe a wide receiver. Uh, some places where the depth is thin and they, they just have some moves to make. So props to the front office for wheeling and dealing here and keeping the majority of the team together while not completely destroying their salary cap. Yeah, and Ford was a big reason why they were able to do that with this restructure. So essentially the only holdover from his previous contract was that $4.6 million injury guarantee. Other than that, uh, they pretty much ripped up the contract and made a new one. So the Athletic did report that Ford has been rehabbing and it's essentially been at the Niners facility every day and he has resumed running. So this is probably Ford's last chance to prove himself. As you mentioned, it's found money. So whatever he gives them, you know, that's great. But I, I don't imagine that they are counting on him. So with yeah. that in mind, um, you mentioned that the depth, the 49ers filling out the depth. 
What, could we rule out an edge rusher in the, early in the draft knowing that there is a possibility of Ford coming back to the, um, just coming back to the 49ers after they just signed old Samson last week? Old Samson. Yeah, I think so. So I went through and I listed out the defensive line depth on Twitter. So Chris Kacerik and Robert Sala, they like to name their packages Alpha, Bravo, Turbo. Alpha is sort of like the, the first down unit, starting unit. That, I imagine, will have Nick Bosa, Javon Kinlaw, DJ Jones, who's back on a one-year deal, and Eric Armstead on the, on the opposite end. And then the Bravo unit, which is kind of your backup unit, uh, that will likely have Jordan Willis, who just signed a one-year deal on Tuesday. It'll have Kevin Givens, who was kind of uh, a diamond in the rough that Kyle and I really liked from last season. Uh, it'll have uh, Kerr, who was another interior defensive lineman that was just signed on Tuesday. And then a backup spot that's backup defensive end spot that's kind of open. Uh, but I don't expect them to draft a first round edge rusher to slot in as like a backup. Someone you could just sign uh, on the minimum for depth. And then their turbo package, which is their, their pass rushing package. That would be Nick Bosa, then Armstead and Kinlaw on the inside. And then old Samson rushing from the outside. So those are your three packages. And that's why I can't see edge rusher in the first round, even though the names have been thrown around routinely. There, there are still quite a few available on the market as well. Do you think uh, we see any sort of veterans added on a, a minimum deal? Because um, obviously, you know, everybody knows the name Jadavion Clowney, but there are a few other players in his caliber that are still available. Yeah, it's a good point. You bring that up. Uh, Marcus Mosher had tweeted this out earlier, and I thought it was a good summary. Jadavion Clowney, Melvin Ingram, Carlos Dunlap, Alden Smith, Justin Houston, Ryan Kerrigan, who the Shanahan's were with in uh, Washington. Everson Griffin and Adrian Claiborne are all free agents as we record this podcast. So you think the Fort Nash can sign any one of those? I like a lot of those names. They're obviously older, have had issues in the past. But if you're just looking for some depth, I think you can add one of those guys uh, for pretty cheap and not have to expend like, you know, draft capital there. Yeah, Alden Smith started off the season with a bang, but he did kind of slow down as the year wore along. So um, if if I were to go an edge rusher route, I, I like the idea of taking a swing later in the draft on one of those athletic upside guys who might need yep. some refining, but that's what you pay Chris Kosirik for. And if he runs, excuse me, he runs the show. And uh, that's what DJ Jones pretty much told the media when he, when we spoke to him on Tuesday, that if the defense essentially – Chris Kosirik calls the shots along the defensive line. He, he, he backtracked a little bit and said, I don't want to make it sound like he's speaking over Robert Sala, but so that kind of told you all you needed to know about um, how much control Kosirik has up front. So let's move along to Trent Williams, who is a very, very well-paid man. He told yes. the media on Tuesday that he had quote unquote good conversations with Kansas City and that they made a good push. He said that he reached out to Kyle Shanahan, who he only talks to via FaceTime because I imagine Kyle just does not know how the internet works. Um, so he <laughs> said that he reached out to Kyle Shanahan and he told them, hey, we need you better get a deal done or he what his what his words were was, quote, we need to hurry up and get this done if you get my drift, end quote. And Kyle Worked his magic, reached out to Parag. They were at dinner. An hour later, a deal gets done. Happily ever after, Trent Williams is with the 49ers. But that kind of just tells you how, um, you know, pressure bust pipes. We talked about it before the podcast started that, you know, deadlines spur action. So it was close. Kyle, or Trent Williams talked about how close he is with the Shanahan family, how he was vacationing with 
um, his dad, Mike Shanahan, in Cabo 24 hours before free agency started. So that kind of tells you, you know, no matter what, I, I imagine no matter what Kansas City would have done, San Francisco would have had a chance to offer him or just, you know, match that offer. But what was your, what was your takeaway from Trent Williams' uh, press conference? Yeah, I think the the biggest takeaway was that Trent Williams was honest with the media when he spoke to us back in January, right? I think you asked him, right, would you be willing to take a discount or something along those lines? I'm paraphrasing. But he was basically like, eh, I don't know if I'd be willing to give you a discount, but, you know, I want to be here with the 49ers. I'd be willing to work with the structure and create something that's an effective contract for both sides. He was honest, right? He, you know, hit the open market. I think he had a deal with the Chiefs in place, like he said, and he probably called up Kyle and was like, hey, I'm going to head to the Chiefs if you guys can't match or, you know, work out something in the same realm. And Kyle Shanahan knew how important Trent Williams was just to their offseason plan, right? Not re-signing Trent Williams would have completely changed their plan. They would have had to focus on offensive tackle maybe in round one of the draft. They would have had to completely pivot. I think that would have been a giant domino Uh and would have had a huge effect on the rest of their offseason. And Kyle Shanahan just wasn't willing to put up with that. And like we said before, Kyle Shanahan makes the most money out of anyone on the team, right? John Lynch, Parag, Adam Peters, like any of those guys. So he calls the shots. It's Kyle Shanahan's show. So Kyle Shanahan was like, yep, go get me Trent Williams, get it done. Probably something to that effect to Parag and John. And within an hour, the deal is done. So you get a sense for who calls the shots in the building, right? It's not, it is collaborative. I'm not saying it's not, but at the end of the day, Kyle has final say. And, you know, this was clear evidence of Kyle just saying, yeah, go get me my guy and get it done. And that's what happened. So, yeah, I mean, just on the contract, I'm not sure if we've broken it down, but it's it's just like a three-year, $66 million deal, basically. It's not some wide, it's not the widely reported six-year, 138 million dollar thing um you know that's what agents want the media to put out so that it looks like their client got this massive contract but in reality it was a lot smaller deal so good deal for both sides glad he's back but it gives you a window into how the 49ers operate absolutely the uh the 49ers are about as collaborative as the Niners Niners nation is collaborative um there, there is a one person who <laughs> runs a show in that organization, and it is Kyle Shanahan, and there is no need to pretend otherwise. Uh, you just There's heard him talking Kyle about it. <laughs> you, you just kind of heard Trent talk about it, where he was, he was really comfortable with Kyle Shanahan. He spoke like he was family, and then he also was spoke very glowingly about the, the 49ers front office and how Parag got the job done, how he's comfortable with their transparency, and that stuck out because uh, Kwasi Tart has also spoken about that as well, where these guys have no problem telling you how it is. Trent Williams said that, you know, there are some organizations where they'll tell you you're great uh, to, the, to your face, and then two days later they'll cut you. You do not have to worry about that with the 49ers. So I imagine, you know, that type of atmosphere because these guys want to be spoken to like adults. You don't have to hold their hand and baby them, and that probably goes a long way. So let's move on to the Backup quarterback situation because it would not be a 49ers podcast if we did not talk about the backup quarterback. So Joe Flacco, who visited the 49ers last Thursday or Friday, I believe it was, he just recently signed with the Philadelphia Eagles and crossed another one off the list. Shucks, the 49ers will not be able to sign Joe Flacco. Now what? Um, Mm -hmm. Aside from that, real quick, earlier today, the Jets wide receiver, free agent wide receiver, Corey Davis said that he signed with New York under the assumption that 
Sam Darnold would be the quarterback. So apparently, uh, according to a CBS report, the Jets coaches are telling their free agents that Darnold will be the quarterback. So we can also cross off the Darnold quote-unquote dreams <laughs> to the 49ers. So no Joe Flacco, um, no Andy Dalton, no Sam Darnold. What are the 49ers going to do at their backup quarterback position? Yeah, I bet Kyle Shanahan's up at night, middle of the night, bottle of tequila, <laughs> thinking about what am I going to do with my backup quarterback position? I mean, my God, we talk about it every day online or on a podcast or on an interview, whatever, right? I feel like it's discussed way too much for a guy that hopefully doesn't even like step on the field to see live action. That's the goal. We talk about it. Most teams, most good teams, Seattle, Kansas City, Green Bay, New England with Tom Brady. They just didn't worry about who the backup quarterback is because most years the guy never had to see the field. And yet we're back here talking about it again. And the, over the last two weeks, Andy Dalton gone, Mitch Trubisky gone, uh, Joe Flacco now gone, Marcus Mariota staying with his team, and all these veteran options that are upgrades over C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins are gone. Or they're more expensive, right? That's what it costs for some of these veteran higher-end backups. And that leaves Jimmy Garoppolo, Josh Rosen, and Josh Johnson on you know the roster as your three quarterbacks. Do you feel comfortable going into the season with those three guys, especially those two backups behind Garoppolo? Do you feel comfortable? Are you asking me if I personally feel comfortable? I am. I do not, no, because I've seen how other teams play, and I've seen – Matt Stafford play and I know who Sean McVay is and I know that the 49ers do not have a chance in this scenario and and that's probably just being too um, hyperbolic but I just think that you are betting against everything that you know just I mean you're betting against history and that's something that I always preach about not doing so and we can even say that when it comes to signing some of the the, the unrestricted free agents where you're kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that they stay healthy when, you know, we have evidence to the contrary. So I would not feel comfortable with that scenario because I've seen people throw out that Rosen may be this hidden gym rookie. Nope. Can't say that because we have evidence that he's no good in the NFL. So that's just, we, let's get that out of the way. And then Josh Johnson, he's been around forever, but he was unsigned in the NFL in November. Like he was available for a reason. So uh, what's the hope? Like you're hoping that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't get injured? That's happened two out of the last three years. So um, I, I just don't I don't like that scenario. And if the if the the goal is to you know be the best team possible, I'm not sure that that quarterback room involves the best team possible. How about you? I don't either. And you and I see eye to eye on this. Maybe not eye to eye with like other people, but you and I agree on on this topic especially. And we saw Kyle Shanahan about every day this past season, right? During his media availability. I mean, he did it like four times a week. So we got to see how he was throughout the season. That man looked miserable. Like there were points in the season where he looked like he wanted to quit. I mean, beard long, hat, you know, deep covering his eyes. Like he looked miserable. I can't imagine he wants to go into another season with Jimmy Garoppolo as a starter with like no legitimate backup behind it. Like hoping that Garoppolo stays healthy for, you know, 16 games or 17 games, whatever. And yet he hasn't the last two, two of the three years. I, I just can't imagine that he pushes all his chips with Garoppolo and what they've got in the quarterback room. So I can't imagine he's comfortable right now. And given that all the veteran options are gone, I'm a fan of that. I got to imagine it's the draft. I have to imagine that's where they address this need. 
It's you and I have been talking about it. Take a swing, be aggressive. I just got to think that that's what Kyle's thinking. And especially with the Trent Williams thing, we talked about this before we hit record. If Trent Williams wasn't re-signed and Kyle Shanahan was like, okay, that's a little too much for Williams. Like we like, it's all right. We'll address it some other way. They would have had to really push their, you know, chips in round one to addressing that with Slater or some of these other names. But since they've got Williams and no other clear need on the roster, I think Kyle now has the freedom to go swing for a quarterback that he likes. I don't know who he likes. I don't. But I think he has the freedom to do that. And I think he will in April. Yeah, they have. They're in a position where so some people feel like they're not in a position to, you know, get a quarterback because, you know, it's fair to assume that the quote unquote top four or five quarterbacks won't be available when the 49ers are picking at number 12. But they have plenty of ammo to move up. And I know that because we have seen them move up for players they like every year. So that will not be any different in this scenario. And as I've said pretty much on every podcast, this is the draft where there are four legitimate options who could all start day one. I feel confident in that as well. So knowing that, um, I mean, we talked about this before as well. The way that the 49ers have built this team through this free agency, they are, you know, there's they're adding depth at every position they need. There are no needs as far as starters go. They're probably not going to draft a wide receiver in, in the first round um, because of the strength at that position in this draft where you can probably find a starter later on. And the only other option realistically would be cornerback, but you just signed Jason Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley. And that wouldn't stop you from drafting a guy who is, you know, an absolute dog who maybe would be Jalen Ramsey, but there are no Jalen Ramseys in this draft. There are, however, plenty of franchise quarterbacks to pick from. And you cannot say that for every NFL draft. So that's why, as you mentioned, now more than ever is it time to take a swing We also mentioned before this, there was a scenario that you said where Jimmy G is a backup to a rookie. So let's talk about that because I don't, I don't see that happening. I think if the 49ers were to move up in this scenario for a quarterback, that they would either move on from Jimmy or, yeah, I I mean, I I would just leave it there. I, I don't see how he would be a backup at his salary because again, like even as, as is the case with Jimmy in most scenarios, not in this one because they would draft a rookie, but I, I just don't see how, um, you know, a, a backup would be better in that situation. What, what do, how do you feel about that? Or what's your logic behind that? Okay. So coming in last week, if you told me they had signed Andy Dalton or they had signed Mitch Trubisky or they had signed Joe Flacco or someone of that caliber to be a backup Jimmy Garoppolo, then I would have said, okay, if they draft a quarterback, they're going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo draft weekend. Now they'll have that rookie quarterback, that veteran backup, and then like a Josh Rosen or something like that. Some flyer that, you know, is on the roster. But now they don't they didn't sign that veteran backup. So now you've got Josh Rosen, Josh Johnson, and Jimmy Garoppolo. And would Kyle Shanahan really feel comfortable with a room that included a rookie quarterback, Rosen, and Johnson? And, you know, I don't know what uh, training camp is going to look like this season. Are we going to have a full training camp or, or is there going to be a rookie mini camp? Is there going to be OTAs? Like, is the rookie quarterback going to have a full off season with Kyle Shanahan to work out all the kinks? I, I don't know that, right? So that's when I was thinking, okay, yeah, maybe I maybe you could see Garoppolo left uh, on the roster with a rookie quarterback. And then the second thing was they were able to maneuver and make moves this off season, like keeping Trent Williams, keeping Juszczyk, keeping Verrett, keeping Mosley, et cetera, with Garoppolo's salary being exactly what it is. And they still have cap space to make moves. So it felt to me like they were 
they tried to you know turn all the other knobs that they could to create cap space to sign guys while keeping his salary on the roster and you know keep him keep him for a year and cut him next season it kind of feels like that to me uh it also feels like they'd be hedging their bets like they wouldn't have to start the rookie quarterback week one always start garoppolo maybe the rookie doesn't you know develop in time whatever right uh it gives you an option and if history is right and garoppolo gets hurt like he has you know the past few years then it would be a clean opportunity uh, to insert that player, kind of like Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick-esque, um, and then just have that player take over from there. So I, for some reason, envision that now that they haven't signed a veteran player behind Garoppolo. Yeah, and I think that we both agree that a rookie is in the cards right now, just based on yep. how everything's unfolded. Yep. That was probably always the case, but let's just pretend like it's not. But anyway, um, let's say... That so while you were while you were saying that I was envisioning a scenario where Washington Mike Shanahan drafted RG three came back in the fourth round and drafted Kirk Cousins would Kyle dare do that and roll into the, the other, season with two rookies? Okay, so the other scenario instead of using two draft picks to get two rookies, I could see draft quarterback in round one, trade pick forty three for Sam Darnold who's going to cost you, what, $5 million. Now you got Darnold backing up a rookie. Now you got a couple different you know, uh, pieces to work with. He's not expensive. He's only under contract for that one season, and you can just kind of reset the year after and just roll with your rookie quarterback in round one. That was the other scenario I thought of. But that would involve some maneuvering, and you'd be trading up two picks now for quarterbacks like that. Less sure of, but another option. Right, so the issue there would be Let's say rookie quarterback A looks better than Sam Darnold. Now what? Now you traded that compensation for Sam Darnold to ride the bench, and now you're just paying him to be a tutor for no reason. Um, the other, going back to like your quote unquote hedge part, my thought process was the 49ers are already hedging on the rookie, or just essentially betting on the rookie, the rookie. So there would no, be no reason to hedge with Jimmy and that contract because um, they could use that to, you know, either sign other players or load their roster the next off season. So um, again, it always comes back to the starter, like whoever's a starter, that's going to be the starter, whether it's Jimmy, whether it's a rookie, whether it will hopefully Corey Davis is right. And it, it's not Sam Darnold, but um, company man, company man, Corey Davis. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, all right, let's move on. Speaking of free agents, the Seattle Seahawks did what the Seattle Seahawks are normally doing. And for the 76 consecutive offseason in a row, they signed an unrestricted free agent from the San Francisco 49ers. They also already signed Akella Weatherspoon last week. On Tuesday, they signed Kerry Hyder to a three-year deal worth $16.5 million. And instantly, you know, 49ers said, Kerry Hyder is dead to me. And how dare he? He's a traitor. And names that are far worse <laughs> than I can say on this podcast. But Hyder got paid, man. Congrats. That's what you're supposed to do in this league. Who knew? Have a good season. Be rewarded for that the next season. So the, the one thing that I would worry about if you are a Seattle fan is he – Generally speaking, Hyder has only had success under uh, Chris Kasarik. So, yeah, how is that going to go now that you are away from him? Who knows? But, I mean, I, I don't care where he went. I'm just glad that he got paid because he deserved to uh, just based off his season last year. At the same time, I don't think the 49ers got necessarily worse 
by losing Hyder. I do think that there is some projection um, because Ebicom has not, you know, played on the edge full time, but he's also younger. He's far more explosive. He's a better athlete. So you're paying your defensive line coach to coach him up. So that's a safe bet to me. What was your take when you saw Hyder's contract? Uh, yeah. So two things. So for the Seahawks, Kerry uh, Hyder's 55 pressures from last season is more than any player on their defensive roster. So Hyder immediately slots in as their best pass rusher, maybe. So th- that would be worrisome if you're a if you're a Seahawks fan, right? Uh, just because Hyder, I think rotational pass rusher like he was last season, high motor guy, high effort guy, good locker room guy, good character. But I'm not sure if he's like your just one. Like he's not your high end pass rusher that you want on every down out there, especially without Chris Kosarek. That's just my opinion. But I obviously didn't pay him like that either. I think he got like right. a three year. $15 million deal or something. Um, and then for Kerry Hyder, good good for Kerry, right? I think he came here on a one-year minimum deal, uh, bet on himself, worked his tail off, and now he's parlayed that into basically a $15 million deal. So good for him. I think that's the most he's ever gotten in his career, if I'm not mistaken. So um, I'm always pro players getting the bag, so to speak. So if you're going to you know, go after the money, go after the money, take care of your family, all for it. Uh, and then the third thing for the 49ers, I don't think they were willing to pay Hyder that type money, just given the fact that there's, you know, other names in the free agent market that we mentioned that you could get for cheaper. Two, you have Ebukam, who's, I think, five years younger, just a better athlete all around, like you mentioned. And like you've hit on multiple times, Chris Kaseric is the key that unlocks all this. So I would rather bet on a high upside guy like a Jordan Willis and just say, Kaseric, coach him up. He costs like $4 million less and we'll take what production he gives us. And it may not work out, but I like the line of thinking there. So it was a limited sample size, but Evercom had a higher sack percentage, 2.2 compared to 2.9, and pressure percentage, 12.6 compared to 14.7, which is a pretty stark difference. Compa- uh, when you're comparing Hyder and Ebicom's numbers. So they're betting on that sample size and their coaching and playing alongside Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Javon Kinlaw is going to pay off. So to me, uh, that's a safe bet. And you also have to imagine that he'll be dropping in more coverage and just being able to be more versatile than Hyder, as well as not giving up the edge or contain to a mobile quarterback or a quarterback who has an ounce of athleticism, which is probably my biggest critique of Hyder. So uh, congrats to Hyder. Uh, 49ers will be fine without him. So on Tuesday, Mac Jones had a pro day. Alabama had a pro day, I should say. The 49ers were not present. And by the 49ers, I mean just John Lynch and their front office specifically. There were, I believe, about a dozen GMs there. Do we need to read into that? Is that a smokescreen? What what is your take on this? Because we've seen where, you know, with McGlinchey, they deliberately – uh, went out of their way to you know not pull any attention to him, didn't have any interviews with him, and still drafted him. But uh, what do you think in this scenario? Yeah, first off, Mac Vick. I mean, he ran like a four seven forty yard dash. His numbers, his timing numbers were insane. And obviously, just with the pro days, they're kind of inflated. I think to begin with, sure, right? Because it's not the official combine numbers. It's not just one clock, whatever. Um, it's like the school reporting it. So did he actually run a four seven? Who knows? But that's a lot faster than I thought. Uh, for comparison, I looked it up. Jimmy Garoppolo ran a four point nine seven. So just you know, <laughs> just saying. 
Mac Mac Jones faster than Jimmy Garoppolo. Just saying. That's by like three uh, steps. We, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, do, do we read into it? Eh, I don't know. I've I'm not sure what happened after the whole Ruben Foster deal with the 49ers, but it feels like some like trust has been lost between Nick Saban and and the 49ers brass. I think the only Alabama player they've added since is Jared Maiden, who was like an undrafted free agent. So yeah. obviously no risk there. So I wonder if like that factors into it, which would be maybe poor business because Alabama just produces blue chip players every year. But I was surprised to find out find out that they weren't there. Not only for Mac Jones, but uh, you know they've got Alex Leatherwood, Patrick Sertan. They they've just got good players all around. Their yes. two receivers, Smith and Waddle. So it's like uh, you just go to see these players, and you brought up a good point. Like you're gonna either draft these players or you're going to play teams who have these players. So just being there up front to watch them like makes sense. Um, so I, I'm not sure why the Peters Lynch Shanahan, you know, trio wasn't there. I get why Kyle isn't going, but yeah, that, that was interesting. Um, we'll get more insight into what they're thinking. I, I told you guys before we hit record, BYU has its pro day on Friday, uh, the 26th, I think. So Zach Wilson's going to be participating and we'll see. We'll see. Is Adam Peters? Is John Lynch going? Are they going to see these quarterbacks? Because I know Matt Rule and his GMR. So, yeah, we'll see. Are you suggesting that Kyle Shanahan holds grudges and will not draft a 49er <laughs> or an Alabama player? Never. So, Shock. Our, um, our producer... Rob Guerrera just said that Saban has produced 33 first round picks in his career at Alabama. That is nuts. So yeah, you're going to play somebody. So just go see them. And to say that you don't have to be there. Well, then why are, why is every other GM there? Come on. But um, yeah, probably not the biggest of deal. Uh, as I mentioned, Fortnite's brass, they were at Purdue's pro day where Rondell Moore, who has said that he has met with the 49ers. I know that because I have spoken to him on NinersNation.com SB Nation NFL show. He is a good player. He's a fun player. He does have an extensive injury history. He also ha- ran a 429. I think that is what matters over anything. So uh, if there was a fit in this draft at wide receiver, you're probably uh, placing Rondell Moore near the top of that list. So the 49ers, you mentioned they added Jordan Willis, also added Zach Kerr, who I believe was like the second player that I ever interviewed. It was back in 2014. He's a good player, man. He's an athlete. He is a large, large human being. He's 334 pounds. But the good news is when you watch him, he does not look like he's 334 pounds. He can move a little bit. So, um, I mean, they weren't getting much from Darian Daniels last year. And if you are, first of all, he's probably just insurance for DJ Jones, which smart. And he just gives them a rotational piece because when the 49ers were at their best in 2019, their bench – their backups, their what you just call them, their Bravo unit, quote Bravo. Unquote. Yeah, that they were not, you know, considerably worse than their starters. They were good enough to where the drop off wasn't as bad as it was this past year, where you had players wearing number sixty four and seventy seven <laughs> on the field. So that was a bad, bad thing. Um, Kerr, he's he was productive last year, and I think that goes a long way. He's, he's a nose tackle, but he can kind of do a little thing. He can move around a little bit, and you know that's what they need. They need to get up more athletic, and they've done that this uh, this off season. So, um, it, have you? Do you have any takes on adding Zach Kerr at all? 
yeah, so he set a career high in sacks and pressures this past season in Carolina. And by the look of it, it lo- looks like both of you guys have really, uh, your career graphs have been just pointing up since that interview is what it sounds <laughs> like. Uh, he's bounced around the league. You, you're big time now. So, uh, yeah. yeah. You know it, big time, big time, here at the old NinersNation.com. So, <laughs> adjusted games lost and San Francisco 49ers are synonymous with each other. And that has been the case seemingly for the last decade or so. So, Football Outsiders came out with uh, an article that said the 49ers this past season had the second most adjusted games lost in the past 20 years, which... Did like would would you even does it feel like that? Because yeah, we knew that they were that they were hurt and they had a lot of injuries, but geez, over the past two decades they suffered that many. Um, so a lot of that you let's go through them like D Ford, Nick Bosa right away. They're your two starting defensive ends. Um, they don't they play like one quarter all season essentially, or, or a, a game in a quarter all season. Yeah, then you have your quarterback. Then you have Debo Samuel. Then you have George Kittle, Richard Sherman, Raheem Mostert. Just the extent the players that miss time for extended yeah. periods this season. Juan Alexander, the, the talent. Yeah, man, just out of control. So um, here are the five teams who had the highest adjusted games lot for 2020. So number five, Dallas, 108, 118. I'll just use their their whole number. The Jets, 123. The Eagles, 128. The Patriots were in second at 134. That was nowhere near the 49ers who came in, at, in first. Champs, baby, 166 games missed. Second place was 134. First place is 166 games. That's like three players, man. That's unreal yeah, to me. Like unreal. three starters. It's um, unreal. And they, they had the highest DVOA of any of the top, I think, yeah. six or seven teams. For sure. So it was unreal what they did given the injuries. But the fact that they're consistently atop this uh, adjusted games lost list, which is put together by football outsiders. Um, so last season, they were fifth, I believe, in adjusted games lost. No one would have ever known, right? Because of, of the result. Um, but they were, I think they've consistently been in the bottom 12 for the past eight years. Um, and you know, fact checking that they've had four different head coaches during that span. They've had, I think three different training staffs during that time. So they've tried different things, but they seemingly just are injured a lot during this tenure. Um, and I, I got a reply when I tweeted about it. Some guy was like, I think it has to do with Levi's. He's like, as soon as they move to Levi's, <laughs> they've like hit rock bottom when it comes to injuries. And I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe. It was just it's, built on like a ancient burial ground or some something like that. And uh, they're just always going to be hurt. I think we can uh, start to blame the the people in charge. You know, it's, it's okay to there. point the finger at the person who is bringing these players in because essentially, eventually, one of these days, you're going to have to stop betting against history. So... Uh, Kwaski Tart, man, probably my favorite player to watch on the team, has not started 16 games in his career. And they re-signed him, hoping that I imagine to be the starter again. And that just hasn't worked out. Uh, DJ Jones played the most games in his career last year at 14. So just those are the two most recent re-signings that the team had. But they are betting on starters to perform who have not stayed healthy. So... Over and over and over again. And and as you mentioned, you had a nice counterpoint where, you know, Alex Mack 
has not missed a start. And Samson, good old Samson, has not missed time at all. So, you know, they're slowly trending in the right direction. But still, you know, we have the obvious elephant in the room at a very important position. We also have just other starters as well, though. So it's not just uh, Jimmy. There are other guys on the team who are projected to start with a lengthy injury history. Yeah, my counterpoint to that would be if your quarterback plays, and, and Jimmy Garoppolo did in 2019, you can overcome all the other things. You can overcome a slot corner being out or a strong safety being out or an edge rusher being out for a couple weeks, whatever. If your quarterback goes down and all the other positions go down, your, your season ends up exactly what it was like last year. So that's ultimately what it comes down to. And, and fans take it really personally when I say that because then they think, oh, you just hate Garoppolo. But it's like he plays the most important position in all of sports. And if he goes down, your your season is screwed. So that's the injury that ma- that's the injury that matters the most. But they just could not stay healthy last season. And to see those numbers, especially the difference between one and two, was just eye opening. Yeah, I remember twenty nineteen. Mike McGlinchey and Joe Staley both go down. 49ers did not lose Jimmy Garoppolo, did not lose games. They just kept humming along as if nothing happened. And if you, if you remember that week 15 game against the Falcons where they had essentially their entire secondary out and they were just burned as far as injuries go all over the place, they still had a chance to beat the Falcons in the fourth quarter despite missing several starters. So, yeah, it, it always comes back to the quarterback no matter how you want to slice it. Uh, that's just how this league works. So uh, before we get out of here, let's make some predictions because Richard Sherman, who, you know, John Gruden tampered, waiting on that pick, NFL, Roger Goodell, I will at you. Um, what, is, <laughs> is it a foregone conclusion that Sherm ends up with the Raiders, or what do you, what do you think here? That was my best guess. Uh, the Raiders have done some weird things this offseason. I mean, they've, like, traded away no a way, good not offensive the Raiders. line. Not the Raiders, John Gruden. I mean, they've traded away good offensive linemen. They've extended backup centers. They've signed Solomon Thomas for way more money than I would have. Good for Solly, but um, they've done some weird things. And I think the next thing they do is give Richard Sherman a decent payday. Um, I don't think anyone's beaten down Sherm's door for the first time, maybe in his career. Uh, and I'm, he may have to wait till after the draft to sign somewhere, but I, I, I just think it's Vegas. I think they need the veteran presence. I think he'd be a good fit there. West Coast guy, uh, Gus Bradley, just makes sense to me. What about you? Yeah, I would say, see, I mean, the Raiders make the most sense as well. But if that, why wouldn't he go to a competitor? Like at this stage in his career, and maybe he just doesn't want to move across country again. You know, maybe, maybe he doesn't want to do that. But money talks, man. And if they, it walks. at this point in his career, he's the agent, he's his agent. Just get the most money you can right off into the sunset in a, a year or two. Um, but at the same time, he does. He probably doesn't need money at this point, so he could play for like a team like the Bills or you know a competitor who is going to. It, the Chiefs would not be surprising either, honestly. Uh, him and Trey Williams kind of brought that team up. So, man, seeing Sherman on the Chiefs, knowing that the Chiefs are going to be in like the AFC Championship, more than likely competing against the Bills. So, uh, who knows, man? That, could you imagine him covering Stephon Diggs? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Verrett couldn't cover Stefan Diggs. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be um, something the Chiefs would probably want to avoid. But um, that will do it for us. 
Uh, thank you as always for listening. Please remember, rate, subscribe, review, always, 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 wherever it is that you get your podcast. My name is Kyle Posey. You can follow me on the Twitter at KP underscore show. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this, you have already listened to like a giant quarterback piece that I've been working on for what seems like months now. Um, Akash, where can we follow you and are you working on anything? Uh, yeah, Akash Anavarathan. You can follow me at Twitter at A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. And I've been trying to get back into the writing game like like I've told you privately. And so hopefully we'll start we'll start talking draft soon. Maybe quarterbacks. We'll see. That seems to be the hot topic these days. As always, we appreciate you guys for listening. Rate, subscribe, review, and go Niners. <laughs>